1 Corinthians 12, we are studying verses 1 through 11. We got down to verse number 7 last week, and that's where we're going to pick up tonight. Let's read from verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore I give you, give to you, give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, by the same Spirit, to another faith, by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing, by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Let's pray. Lord, please bless the reading of your word and this time for the preaching of your word. Help us to know your truths and help us to live by them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So remember, we're in a larger section here. Paul is writing to those in Corinth about how they honor or dishonor one another in their public gatherings for worship. He even writes to them about how the public views what's happening or not happening in their public worship. Up against this, he begins in verse number one and says to them, and we talked about this last time, now concerning spiritual gifts, the, the, probably the better rendering there is now concerning spiritual things. He's not talking so much about gifts here. He doesn't actually say that word in the Greek. He says concerning the spiritual. And so we need to understand that there is spiritual warfare, that there is a Holy Spirit, that there are demonic, satanic spirits. And Paul is writing that up against this kind of understanding. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. He's not calling them stupid or dumb. He's saying, I don't want you to be uninformed about these things. And then he goes back to when they were Gentiles. He says, you were led away by idols. He says they were idols that couldn't speak. They had no legs. They had no arms. They couldn't do things. They couldn't go places. And you were led away by these dead idols, idols that could not speak. He says, so I want you to understand here up against that and concerning the spiritual, that no one who says Jesus is accursed is of the spirit of God and that nobody or, or that no man can say Jesus is the Christ, but by the Holy Spirit. So concerning the spiritual things, how do we determine? Is this the Holy Spirit or is this some other spirit? Well, there's your key. How do they view Christ? Does it take the preeminence of Christ? Then it's not the Holy Spirit. Does it point you to Christ? Then it is the Holy Spirit, and this is his guide. Then we got into verse four, five, and six. As he lays out very clearly um, the, the order through which God gives these gifts in the Holy Spirit. There are a variety of gifts, but it's the same Spirit that gives this variety of gifts. Then in verse five, because there's the, all this variety of gifting in the church. Now, note this up against 12 through the rest of the chapter. He's going to talk about the, the church, the local church, visible as a body. 
So some of us are noses, some of us are ears, some of us are eyes, and we all serve a function. Everyone has a gift. Everyone is enabled by the Holy Spirit to do your role. Every part is important. I always thought my whole life that the appendix wasn't important. Do y'all know that it's actually very important? I always thought it was just important that you didn't let it burst. But do you know what the appendix does? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, I think it's about the size of your pinky finger. And it provides these antibodies or bacteria that your body extremely needs. Now, you can live without it, but you don't live the same without it. So it's pretty neat. So if you're wondering the difference between me and Shanae, I still have my appendix. She doesn't have hers. So <laughs> Nothing all, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yes, that's right. That's right. What trade? What trade? <laughs> so there's a variety of gifts in the body. It's the same Holy Spirit. There are differences of administrations, different activities, but the same Lord. There's a diversity of operations. Or I'm sorry. There's there's differences of ministry. Verse five says. Then verse six. There are diversities of operations, different types of activities, but it's the same God which worketh all and all. And we concluded that the gifts are from the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in those three verses, and that there's a unique word used there that is this energy source that God uses. It kind of puts us in mind of a symphony, the Greek word does, because you got the conductor, you know, and all the parts play their part. And if they were to all do their own little thing, it would sound like chaos. But, you know, you tap the wand there. I'm just bugs bunnies in my head here. You tap the wand there and you start doing your thing and they all play together and it sounds beautifully, right? Even if you don't like classical music, you can at least respect that this is all happening in sync and working together. Well, so the Godhead runs the church and the energy source that he uses to get the desired outcome 100% of the time is the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of where we left off last time. So now we pick up, and, and by the way, if you weren't here last time, I gave you three points of views on spiritual gifts. The continuation view is the idea that you can go all the way to the extreme of the charismatic end, that the gifts fully exist. Um, they would even say apostolic gifts even to that exist to, to in, the, in the modern church today. Um, that would even step over the sufficiency of scripture, right? And we don't want to be there. There's the cessationist view, which is the gifts have ceased. For sure, we would fall in line with the apostolic gifts have ceased because the apostles have all died. For sure, we would fall in line with that the sign gifts have ceased because we have the word of God completed for us here, right? The cessationist view would even go so far as to say that the gifts that we're going to deal with tonight have ceased. And though you may see some of these things in the church that they're just there because that's just kind of how some people are wired. It's their personality. It's not necessarily the Holy Spirit, though he empowers them in that. We wouldn't see that as like a spiritual gifting. I don't want to go that far. So the, the middle view there is the modified or the modification view, which is aware that some of the gifts have ceased, but basically just concludes God is God and he can do whatever he wants. So if God wants to do miracles, God can do miracles. So that's kind of where I fall here. If you want to know where I fall on the gifts. All right, verse seven then. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So the gifts are distributed for the good of the whole. Derek Prime. Is this a name familiar to you? 
Derek Prime. You might be familiar with, he trained Alistair Begg. This would be a, a way to know who Derek Prime is. He has a good line here. He says, the spirit gives them the gifts to unite, never to divide the body. That's exactly right. If, if we're finding division over the gifts, then we miss the boat. If we're having confusion over the spirit's gifting, God is not the author of that. So when we understand the Holy Spirit's gifts, we should come to an understanding that brings unity into our midst. Paul's objective here, he says, is the common good. The Greek word there is synphero, S-Y-M-P-H-E-R-O. It means profitable together. So the Spirit gives, distributes gifts for the good of the whole. He gives them so that we can be profitable together. Warren Wiersbe says they are not for individual enjoyment, but for corporate employment. So I'll, I'll just pick on tongues here for a moment. There's a, it's kind of gotten over it, I think, but there was a pretty common thing going on. It seemed like it was happening, not picking on anybody in particular, it was just an observation. It was happening under younger mothers, younger wives, and more charismatic churches. For a while there, there was this tendency to get into this prayer closet tongue speaking. It was as if it were some kind of a higher manifestation of our spirituality. And so I would get, it, get asked about this by folks in our church. You say, my friend is talking about this and they're into this. And what do you think about this? Or where should I fall on this? Well, I think Warren Wiersbe's point of view here on the spiritual gifts is one great clue to that. The, the Bible doesn't say that they give them to you for your individual enjoyment. It's not even for your individual edification. It's for the corporate employment in the body of the church. So if, if God does give you a gift, you can be sure that it's of God if it's for the good of the whole. If it's just benefiting you, well, then either you're misusing it or it's not from the Lord. Now, in our fallen human nature, we have a tendency to live selfishly. Would you be honest? Can we survey the crowd tonight? How many of you? So half of us or a portion of us are, are tend toward selfishness. Some of us tend toward like generosity. We're not selfish people at all. In your nature, maybe just when you were a child, right? Because now you're an adult and you're saved and you're good all the time. But when you were a child, how many of you would say, all right, I tended more towards selfishness? All right, how many of you would say, I tended more and I wasn't such a selfish person? Okay, more of us than I thought. Reprobates. <laughs> I didn't know you were so bad. No, this is, this is the case. Well, that nature is still with us. So the tendency is to use whatever gifts we have for our own personal profit or for our own Boasting, But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit should change that. I'll, I'll exemplify this with myself. See that I made up a word there? Exemplify. This is going to make my point even better. Uh, the first couple of gifts we're going to get into here, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, that basically talking about teaching. And when I was a young man and first started preaching, my pastor made fun of me publicly one time after I had preached a sermon and I thought I had done pretty good. And he got up and he said, Chance thinks he's a good preacher. I was just like, oh, geez. <laughs> Probably because I was making up words like exemplify. But if we're not careful, we have this tendency towards selfishness. We have this tendency toward boastfulness because it is a pretty amazing thing when the Holy Spirit enables us to do something for God's glory. But we must remember where the glory lies. It should lie on God. That's another good clue. Is this a, a gift of the Holy Spirit? Is this truly of God? Is this biblical? Should I be doing this or shouldn't I be doing this? Should I seek this or not? Well, who's going to get the glory? That's another great clue. 
But the tendency is changed by the Holy Spirit who indwells us. We've been transformed. So now we're to use our gifts and especially our spiritual gifts for the benefit of the body of Christ. To quote Derek Prime again, he says, we should not ask, therefore, do I want to exercise my spiritual gift, but rather, how does the body need the exercise of my gift? Let's say you concluded tonight, all right? My gift is verse number 10 to another, diverse kinds of tongues. And you said, I believe the Holy Spirit has gifted me with the gift of diverse kinds of tongues. All right, I'm not even gonna argue that point with you. I can't decide what the Lord's dealing with you or on or not. I don't know your heart. Only God knows your heart. But here's what I can decide. How would it benefit us tonight if you could speak in other languages supernaturally? Would it benefit us at all? Zero benefit. So I'm not even going to claim that the gift has ceased, nor do I have to. I'm just going to say, when you encounter the gifts, you will find that it is truly of God when it benefits the body. All right. So I want us to know that Paul writes these things to every man. Verse seven. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man. So we all have a useful gift. It is a capacity for service. It is a function. We must think of it in this way. We mustn't think of these as some sort of uh, extreme supernatural worship experience. This is not what Paul's talking about here. In fact, he's, he's kind of scorning the Corinthians in this, in this full context here for how they were using these things in their extreme supernatural worship experiences. He, he says, you're kind of getting away from the original teaching here. But he does speak of these gifts as real things and things that the Holy Spirit does give here. So we have to take that under consideration. But we need to see these as capacities for service, functions of the Holy Spirit through us. A natural ability or a talent, sure. But it's a natural ability or a talent empowered by the Holy Spirit for the edification of the body. You say, well, God's given me a mind to study. Well, he likely wants you to do Biblical research for your church and either teach it or pass your notes along to somebody who will. Well, God's given me a mind for uh, relationships. Well, God may very well want you to be um, an edifier or he may very well want you to be an evangelist, right? But any of these things, just because you have this natural ability, oh, I'm just a people person, that's not enough. You being a people person won't save people from hell. You being a people person empowered by the Holy Spirit will let him use you to save people from hell. So you must always think this way when in regards to the gifts. It's an ability given by the Spirit to the end of the Spirit's means. Now he says here, manifested. So to every man, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. What does that mean? Manifested of the Spirit. Thomas Schreiner says, the gifts are not the manifestation of the self. They do not show off the human being, nor are they produced by human beings. No, these are manifestations of the Spirit. What would a manifestation of any part of the Godhead do up against a human? It would make us small. It would make us insignificant. It would make us unnoticeable. I think the shepherds at the birth of Christ are a good example of this. And suddenly they were with the, the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. You're not thinking about the shepherds anymore, are you? You're, you're thinking about this manifestation of something straight out of heaven. Well, surely it should be this way 
in regards to the gifts. MacArthur says, no matter what the gift, ministry, or effect, all spiritual gifts are from the Holy Spirit. They make him known, understood, and evident in the church and in the world by spiritually profiting all who receive their ministry. So we see the distribution of the gifts in verse 4, 5, and 6. This is how and why God distributes them. Verse 7 talks about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit to every one of us. And then verse 8, 9, and 10 are going to give us a list of these gifts. Now, I want to give you some notes. There are nine gifts listed here. I gave you a little chart last Wednesday night. Some of you that were here, I tried to get it cut down. Miss Patty cut it down for me. Thank you, Patty. It fit right in your Bible. Thomas has one there. Great job, Thomas. Uh, if you want this, let me know. I'll get it for you. It lists the four times in the New Testament where we get a list of giftings like this, and this is one of them. But you need to know this about these lists. There's nine here. There's seven in Romans. There's five in Ephesians. And there's one, maybe two listed in 1 Peter. All right, well, which one's right? Or is it all of these? Is it, is it, are there 19 spiritual gifts? Is it, well, Corinthians needed these gifts and the Romans needed those gifts? And, or is it an exhaustive list? Like, how, how, what are we to conclude about this? Well, I want to conclude this. These are not exhaustive lists. We're going to go through these lists and you may say, well, I don't think any of these apply to me. Well, that's fine. You might find other things in the scripture that apply to you. You might find that the Holy Spirit has gifted you in some way, and I won't say that's not in the scriptures, but it might not be in any of these lists. It might be something very scriptural that you don't find listed just right here. Probably somebody could teach you that there, here's this gift and this is what it means and this is really what you, what you have and maybe we're misunderstanding there. But I would make the point that God gives a church as needed. So these named are adequate for the ministry in the church where listed. So Paul lists these gifts here. These were what was adequate and needed for the church in Corinth. I think God can give other gifts as he pleases. In fact, the American church in the state that we're in right now, the main thing that I would say that we need is solid Bible teaching and a spirit of worshipfulness. I think these are the two main things that we need in, in, in the modern church. We've gotten into a sort of a social club mentality down at the church. These are my people. This is where I go to spend my time on Wednesdays and Sundays. I'm here, I check the box, I go home. I've done that, but we never actually worship. Or we've gotten into this growth model where we gotta be really careful what we say from behind the pulpit because some people may not stay and then we won't have enough money to pay for the programming and the building and the things that we wanna do down here at our social club. So what does the church need? It needs a spirit of worship from the people and a spirit of, I'm just going to preach the word, word for word, verse by verse. I'm going to cut it straight, right? Rightly divide the word of truth from the pulpit. That's what the church needs right now. What if China takes over? How many things have we shot down out of the sky from China in the last few days? It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an un, uncanny number of things. And we become communistic China of America. What will the church need? Well, for sure, okay, yes, the same thing. Y'all are smarter than me. But we would not be free to worship anymore. We would not be, we would be persecuted for our faith. The Chinese church is. The gifting might be different given there. So as we read through these and we think about them, you might say to yourself, well, this doesn't even apply to us now. This is the flaw of the cessationist point of view. 
It's a very American-only point of view. We've got to be very careful of that when we, when we see it. There's also a timing issue. If you try to make all of these gifts cease, then you're missing out on the timing of when this was written. Some would say that a portion of these gifts are signed gifts. This, this is true. But the conclusion that these are no longer needed and have ceased, uh, I'm going to struggle with you on that one. So let's just take miracles. Paul's going to list miracles here. We know that Jesus performed miracles in the last three and a half years of his life, only during that time, right? To, to, as a sign of who he is. You can also make a case that these only existed for the function of the word and then they ceased after their need expired. Like we, we make that point with the apostles. The apostles were gifted with some things that only apostles are going to be gifted with and the apostles died so these gifts are going to stop. We get to make this point with tongues and interpretation. Would you say that the gift of tongues and interpretation or tongues and hearing was very helpful in the day of Pentecost? It was super helpful. Every man heard in his own language. What language was Peter preaching in? Using Greek, but he was using Old Covenant Hebrew texts. No, he had a Greek text, that's right. But still, he wasn't speaking in every language from every known corner of the world. Yes, sir. Yeah, more so than even the language. Yeah, that's right. God is even that specific. <laughs> yes. Say that again. Yes. <laughs> yes, I spoke in a tongue. Daryl interpreted. That's all you need to know about spiritual gifts. Let's go home. Thanks, Daryl. Yep. That, that's going to be my conclusion tonight. And, and that's where I'm working us toward is whatever your take on the gifts, don't limit your God. Whatever your take on miracles, whatever your take on healings, whatever your take on any of this, remember you serve a big God. He's been sovereign from Genesis all the way and he will be forever. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's all in control. He's providential. He's all of these things. So who, who are we as humans? To limit him. All right. So uh, another example is prophecy and discernment, which is how we receive the scriptures. But now we have the scriptures. So in that particular instance, we would say that specific use of the gifts of prophecy and discernment has ceased. Otherwise, we'd be getting more scriptures and, and, and we're not. Right. So the issue with the take of these gifts ceasing as a whole is the fact that Paul was writing to the Corinthians about these gifts. That was the, the point I wanted to make to you on the timing. If all of these things had already ceased, then, or even some of these things had ceased, well, he wouldn't have talked to them about them. Or he would have said, these things have ceased. And he hasn't said that yet. So we, we need to keep that part in mind. He, he writes as if this is a common thing in the church, and he doesn't specifically tell them to stop doing these things. Now, he's going to talk about some things ceasing here soon, but he, doesn't, he isn't talking about that right now. All right, so and I repented to you last uh, Wednesday night, for those of you who aren't here, I'll just go back through this. 
I, for years, tried to be a full cessationist. I preached it hard to our church. This is why this one ceased and that one ceased. And I said to you, I just kept getting proved wrong. So I'm in the middle now. <laughs> I'm not a charismatic. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a full continuationist. And, and I'll never see myself being that way. But I'm, but I'm in the middle. Basically, God can do what he wants to do because he's God. All right, the first gift we encounter is the word of wisdom. Verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. This gift is insight into God's truth alongside the ability to apply it. William MacDonald says, the word of wisdom is the supernatural power to speak with divine insight, whether in solving difficult problems, defending the faith, resolving conflicts, giving practical advice, or pleading one's case before hostile authorities. Acts 6.10 is a good proof text for this. Stephen so demonstrated the word of wisdom that his adversaries were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. That would be him using the word of wisdom. This is the ability to understand God's word and his will and skillfully speak what you've come to understand. All right, then the word of knowledge. To another, the word of knowledge by the same spirit. This is the power to communicate information that has been divinely revealed. As the Holy Spirit illuminates, those with this gift communicate. It's a great way to think of it in today's world. Uh, Derek Prime offers us a solution for differentiating these two. Like they're very similar. Why did Paul list them separately? Why didn't he say the gift of wisdom and knowledge? He said, he said them separate here. Prime says some have a special gift of wisdom or insight and the ability to apply God's unchanging truth to changing situations. That would be a word of wisdom. Some have a particular gift for appreciating truths other Christians may easily miss and they are able to instruct them and to share this understanding. That would be a word of knowledge. Another way to think of this is you have your week-to-week pulpiteer, but then you have your conference leader or your ministry leader. So you have... Chance, who teaches you the word on a regular basis. And then you have Ken Ham, who teaches you just about Genesis, right? And that kind of seems to be his specific area of gifting. And he'll pick and choose things in there that a typical person may miss out. I think that's a good distinction Derek Prime gives us there. So wisdom and knowledge are very similar gifts. I think a good way for us to think of these or to apply them to the other list of gifts in the scriptures is this is the gift of teaching. Okay? Number, uh, page, not page, Verse 9 gets us to faith, to another faith by the same Spirit. Now, we all know what faith is. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. But we need to understand that Paul distinguishes this gift to some, while others have a different gifting. But he's addressed his audience here as brothers, so he considers these all to be people of the faith. So this would be more than saving faith or faith that is common to all believers. So we're just going to call this extraordinary faith. Look at chapter 13, verse number two. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, what does he say? What is, how does he define all faith? So that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am Nothing. So extraordinary faith would be the type of faith that could remove mountains. Go to James chapter 5. 
This reference, not quite as sure and applicable as chapter 13, verse 2, but I do think it's part of this. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him praise. Any merry? Let him sing songs. Psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Then what does he say? And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So I think this would be an instance of extraordinary faith. It's not normal faith. It's not typical faith. It's not common faith. It's not the faith to save. It's not the faith that all of us have at some point in our Christian growth. I would call this an example of extraordinary faith. Mountain removing type faith. Look at Matthew chapter number 17. Matthew chapter number 17, verse number 20. I don't want you to underestimate your gifting here through terms like extraordinary or removing mountains. I want you to think of this as how Jesus termed such faith. Because you could say, I don't, I don't know that I could heal the sick, so I don't have that kind of extraordinary faith. And I for sure couldn't remove a physical mountain, so I don't have that kind of faith. Well, don't overestimate what it takes. Jesus said unto them, 1720, because of your unbelief. Do you remember the story? They were trying to cast out a devil and they couldn't do it. And Jesus did it. And they said, well, why couldn't we do it? And he said, well, because of your unbelief. What did they lack? Why couldn't they cast out this devil? They lacked faith. That's different than saving faith, wouldn't you say? That's different than faith that God's gonna, you know, help you through. This is a little bit different, isn't it? So Jesus explains, verse 20, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith... As, is a, as of a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Anybody here tonight can say, yep, that's where I live. Nothing's impossible for me. Teenagers, teenage boys excluded. <laughs> yeah, we all understand the limitations of humanness, but Jesus says here, if you have the faith, so you take the grain of a mustard seed, this, this tiny little seedling, and you, you pounce upon it with a, a mortar and a pestle, right? And then you get all of these tiny little, uh, just powdery grains. You take one of those little out. You couldn't even get it in your fingers, right? Could it? Jesus, if you have that much faith, then you have extraordinary faith. So don't say, there's no way I'm a person with extraordinary faith. If the Holy Spirit gives you, then, then, then you have it, right? If he's going to gift you with this gift, then you have it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 again. I think George Mueller is a good example of this kind of faith, right? He, he never made his needs known. It wasn't like he sent out this weekly prayer list and said, here's all these orphans and here's what we need to be able to feed all of these orphans. But like the, the tally that you kind of find of him in church history is he cared for at least 10,000 orphans over a period of 60 years and none ever went hungry. And you hopefully have read George Mueller to your family have it we can loan you some books but, but like there's a story of they're they're all just kind of sitting at the breakfast table but there was no food but they went ahead and went to the breakfast table right and the knock on the door came and you know they got milk and bread right i, I won't ruin the story for you this faith is the strong conviction that god will move in one way or another in a specific circumstance uh, i probably shouldn't say this on the live stream but i'm i'm just going to say it and maybe we'll edit it out later but like my dad lives with this kind of a faith. I grew up around someone. I think this is one of his spiritual gifts. But he would always just say, let's just see what the Lord will do. 
What was he saying there? He's like, there's no telling what he might do or what he might not do, but we're not going to stress it. We're not going to worry about it. We're just going to have faith, right? All right, verse nine then goes to healing. And here's where we lose the unity. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, faith. Everybody's like, yeah, I'm all in. And then we start talking about healing and we say, whoa, you're getting too charismatic for me here. And then we go miracles. And it's like, man, did Benny Hinn come into the room? What's going on here? Can I just say to you, from Genesis to Revelation, you find healing. In fact, one of the beauties of the new creation is healing. And from Genesis to Revelation, you find miracles. So for us in the church age, under grace, to deny such things is to be missing out on a large part of our faith. And don't get me wrong. Like, I don't want to be forming a healing line up here. I'm not a healer. I've not been gifted that way. But I, and I don't know if any of you have, but I know that God's a healer. And I know that God can do miracles. So let's not like get the creepy crawlies going here tonight and miss the beauty of this. Paul doesn't say to the church in Corinth, you're saying you have the gift of healing, but you don't. He says, no, the Spirit gave some of you the gift of healing. And the Spirit gave some of you the gift of miracles. It's plain and simple. To this New Testament church. All right, so what is healing? This is the miraculous power to heal diseases. Now, again, words of wisdom, words of knowledge kind of run together. We, in other passages, we say that's teaching. Faith, healing, and miracles kind of run together as well. But Paul distinguishes them here. So we're going to try to look at it that way. Some scholars, when they comment here, will not say that there should be a distinguishment. They'll just say, it's just how he worded it this time, but we should understand these things all together. And I get it. Like, can you have healing without faith? Are there miracles without faith? No, there's not. So I understand that. But he wrote about them separately, and I think there was a reason for that. I think there would be times that healing would not be deemed a miracle. Someone is healed, but we would not say it was natural. Well, we might or supernatural. We might, we might say God did it. I've been to the doctor before, and I fully give God credit for giving that doctor knowledge on how to heal my body. But I don't call that supernatural other than the fact that God provided the wisdom to allow them to heal my body. So I just want to make the point there. There is a difference between healing and miracles. We're going to get to miracles in a moment, but healing. Now, there is supernatural healing, too. I'm not denying that. And typically, you don't find healing or miracles without faith. We must also note on healing the rareness of it in the scriptures, including miracles. I mean, they're, they're there, but they're probably not there as, as much as we want them to be or would think that they would be. During Christ's ministry, three and a half years, how, how many years of history would you say there are in the scriptures? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not asking because I know, but some of you know. Brother Hartzer, Brother Homer, about how many years of history do we have in the scriptures? 6,000 years, is that right? Yeah. We're, I'm not trying to date the planet or any of that kind of stuff. I'm just saying recorded human history of the years that we have written about in the scriptures, there's about 6,000 years here. Out of 6,000 years, we find three and a half years where there was a ton of healing going on and a ton of miracles by Jesus, right? We understand that. But, but in the grand scope of the scriptures, there was a whole lot of other time, 5,900, well, I've been getting math wrong in the pulpit so bad. 6,000 years minus three and a half, whatever that is. I had a young person say to me the other Sunday, you really couldn't do that math from the pulpit? And I was like, well, I'm thinking of other things right now, not the math. And I didn't have my calculator. 
All right. We do find healing in Christ's ministry. We also seem to see that as the church goes, when it starts, there's more, but as it gets going, it seems to lessen. That's something you just, it's a pattern you find. Let me give you some examples of this where we probably shouldn't put too much emphasis on healing like we would have a human tendency to want to do. The human tendency would be, let's just kill off all doctors. Well, not kill them off, but let's stop all doctors. Let's stop all medicine. Let's just be believers. Let's have faith. And let's just trust God to heal us all the time. All right, well, here's where this is not biblical. Paul was sick. He never healed himself. Paul healed other people. There are people in Paul's life that healed other people. Paul, as far as we know, never got healed. Paul's friend Epaphroditus. Let's do a Bible drill. Philippians 2.27. Somebody go there real quick. Philippians 2.27. I'll give you all three of these. I know I'm running long, but I've got to get us through a couple of these tonight. All right, Ben, what do you got? For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Yeah, so Epaphroditus did not die. He was sick near death, but he didn't die. Why? Because Paul healed him? No, because God had mercy on him, right? So there's that instance. All right, ready? Swords up. 1 Timothy 5.23. All right, Thomas. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach, for thy stomach's sake, and thine often in infirmities. Yeah, so Timothy evidently had a digestive issue, some kind of sickness. Did Paul heal him? No, he didn't heal him. He spent a lot of time around him. What did he say? He said, take some wine for medicine. Take your medicine. This will make you feel better with a stomach issue there. We would take Pepto-Bismol or uh, Mylanta or whatever it is that we would take. But, but, but he didn't heal him in this regard. Uh, all right, swords up. 2 Timothy 4.20. So Paul left Trophimus sick at Miletus. He didn't heal him, right? Now, this is not me trying to pre preach to you that there is no gift of healing. I just want to make the kind of balance this out here that there's plenty of instances in the Bible where there was healing. There's plenty of instances in the Bible where there was not healing, okay? Nevertheless, Paul writes to the church in Corinth that the Holy Spirit gives the gift of healing. He didn't write of healing in the list to the Romans. He didn't write of healing in the list to the Ephesians. Peter didn't include it in his list either. I'm going to conclude that this gift was needed in Corinth, so God provided it, and should we need it, God could provide it again. That's where I'm going to leave it. Should we try to heal? Should we pray for healing? I think the answer there is yes, if that's what you want God to do. Yes, sir, Brother Holman? Yes, sir. At the same time, the Scriptures told me to finish my Yes, absolutely. And you trusted in what for healing there? Uh, that the Lord has uh, provided the means for that doctor ordered and also following the book. Yes. Had, had God supernaturally healed your eyes, you would have not seen the doctor and you would have given God glory for it. He did not, but he saw fit to put a doctor in your space and you give God the glory for that. 
Yeah. What where we can go wrong here is if you were to say, I'm not going to trust in man, so I'm not going to go see the doctor. And if the Lord wants my eyes healed, he'll heal my eyes. When he's given you the perfect path to go to go get it done. Yeah. We often also need to be okay with the fact that one of the ways God's heals is through death. I discussed this with Jason and Leanna at one point. I, I was praying hard, Lord. Like, I mean, I was just, Lord, you raise the death, the dead from to life. You could grow Jason another kidney. He's got a young son. He's got a young daughter. He's got an okay wife. <laughs> but as I was praying about this, the Lord convicted me and said, what if the way that I, I was just like, Lord, please, you've got to heal Jason. You've got to heal. You know, just really putting the Lord on the spot. And he said, what if my way of healing him is taking him out of this world? What do you want then? And I, in my mind, I thought, well, I'd rather him be alive with his family and going through the kidney surgeries that he has to have once a month than to be with you. And, he, you know, that's my own personal thing. And it's not my opinion that matters or my decision in this thing. But I shared that with Jason Leanne. And I said, I don't really know how to pray. And Jason, who is a very spiritual man, said, uh, you, just, you just pray the Lord's will be done. That's what he told me. So that's what I pray. God, your will be done with Jason. So healing, not miracles, can happen supernaturally. They can happen through medical practice. They can happen through medicine. And surely God gifts some this way even today. Miracles. Can you get through miracles and then be done? We good? Anybody just dying to leave? Got to go? Okay. Well, besides Ben. He does have a longer drive home than most of you. All right, let me do one more. To another, verse 10, to the another, the working of miracles. A miracle is a manifestation of great power through supernatural force. We see instances of miracles in the Bible like casting out demons, changing matter from one form to another. What's an example of that? Water turned to wine. Raising the dead. Exercising power over the elements. What's an example of that? Calling the sea. Yeah. Tonight, if these storms are as bad as they are, I'm going to hope that somebody has this has this gift. <laughs> peace be still. If, if you think the Lord's laid that on your heart, please go outside tonight. And well, maybe don't go out into the storm. Maybe you have great faith too. And you want to work miracles. But we see these things in scripture. To differentiate between healing and miracles, we would not consider healing through non-supernatural means to be miraculous. We would hold to such things as raising the dead, which is a form of healing, but we would hold to such things as raising the dead as miracles. These are supernatural things. Another way to differentiate is to consider the term miracle as only applying to such things as bitten by a venomous snake and living, turning water to wine, things that are non-health related. So you can differentiate what Paul's saying here to some the gift of healing, to some the working of miracles. The question in the church today, do miracles continue today or did they cease? Should the church be looking for miracles? Should the church be trying to perform miracles? And to read you John Piper here, he gives my favorite response to such a question. He says, there were fewer miracles in the Bible than you probably think, and there are more miracles today than you probably know. If we could collect all the authentic stories all over the world from all the missionaries and all the saints and all the countries of the world and all the cultures of the world, if we could collect all the millions of encounters between Christians and demons and Christians and sickness and all the so-called coincidences of the world, we would be stunned. We would think we were living in a world of miracles, which we are. Now, if you sit here tonight and say, nope, I disagree with you, I disagree with John Piper, and I don't like that, I just remind you we serve a miracle-capable God. And if you sit here tonight and say, that's right, and I'm going to leave here speaking in tongues and try to heal a few people on the way out, I would remind you that we serve a miracle-working God. Right? 
So we also need to think through the biblical reasons for miracles. Primarily, they were signs to confirm the messenger conveying the scriptures. All right, ready? Swords up. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Okay. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, and what we have away from. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, when every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to His will. Yeah. So verse 4 concludes what is being said there. God bore witness that this was his word. How? Signs and wonders, divers miracles, gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. So miracles were signs to confirm the messenger who is conveying the scriptures. That's very important. All right. Exodus 4, 1. All right. What do you got? Yep, that's exactly right. So Moses says, and if you want to go with me, go to Exodus 4. This will be our last scripture. I'm going to read you a little bit more there. Moses said to God, they won't believe me. They won't hearken to my voice. They will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. That's a scoffer, right? That's someone who says this, your Bible is a good book. It's got some good information. But that's not like the words from God. What do you mean it's inspired? Well, God clears this up here. Moses had the same doubts. He had the same culture. People of his day were saying the same thing. What did God say? Verse two, and the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. And he cast it on the ground and, and he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. Moses fled from before it. You, you're really good on that one. It is very holy to run from snakes. <laughs> How about you snake handlers? Verse four, and the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and called it by the tail. You going to refute me there, Ben? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not Moses. <laughs> Verse five, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. What did God say do? Do a miracle so that they will believe the word. And the Lord said, furthermore unto him, put now thine hand into thy bosom. He put his hand in his bosom. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. He put his hand into his bosom again. He plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon dry land. And the water which shall take it out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Substance changing. These are miracles. The miracles were used as signs that there was authority here. God's authority in the word. Now, let's move ahead in the future of time. And let's say things don't go as we think they're going to. We live in an apocalyptic time. You're, all your Bibles have been burned up by China and you can't use your technology anymore. The only word of God that we have is what's in our heads. And we're still trying to spread the gospel. And people say, why well, I don't believe you. Would it be odd for us that God allowed us to begin again doing miracles to affirm what we're telling people is the word of God that we've stored up in our head? That would be completely normal. Would it be abnormal with us with the full word of God right here in our hands and the ability to read it and someone else's ability to hear it and believe what is said then to have to have a miracle to affirm it? Yes. 
The gifts were given as needed. These gifts were also for a show of God's love and care to his people. Can you think of a miracle in the Bible that wasn't really used to affirm the spokesperson? It wasn't used to affirm God's word. It was just simply God's way of showing his people, I love you and I care for you. And he did a miracle. Yeah, I was thinking manna, but that's exactly right. In, in the wilderness, the children of Israel, they ate well. Even when they got tired of the manna, they said, give us meat. And he gave them meat. He told them, you don't really need it, but I'll let you have it. He gave them water from a rock. And then the record is their shoes didn't wear out. Is that, is that what is that? Um, what, what are the doctrinal implications of this? The doctrinal implications is God loves you and God cares for you. So miracles can be to that end as well. And we mustn't see miracles today in the sense of the temporary sign gift and affirming the scriptures only. If we, if we see miracles today only in that way and then someone does a miraculous thing, then we're also gonna have to take their words as Bible. Does that make sense? If we say, okay, there are, all right, there are miracles. And then someone does a miracle and it's proof, right? Then we've got to be careful then that miracles are not only for the signs. If miracles are sign gifts only to approve the scripture, and then we find a miracle, then we could say, well, this person can give us some scripture. They can't give us scripture. Why can a person not give us scripture? Because the word of God is done. It's full. So if that's done, then those miracles' purpose have ceased. So then what would miracles exist for if, if until we get to that day and age apocalyptically, right? If we ever get there, that would be the case. But in our day and age right now, it'd simply be to show God's love and care for his people. You also have to think of that up against Satan's abilities. What if, a miracle, what if something is supposed to be a miracle, but, but it's a trick of the devil? R.C. Sproul handles that well. He says if the devil could perform true miracles, he would be a teacher from the Lord. He can perform lying signs and wonders, but not true miracles, for he is not a teacher from God. That's a good way to look at that. So if we see a miracle in our day, we we should understand if it's only a sign gift, that there should be some scripture come with it. If we if the devil then can do that, then he's teach he's a teacher from the Lord, which we know that he's not. So he's doing lying things. All right, that's it. Any other thoughts or questions? Yes. Uh, Satan can only 